The Bigger Picture, going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day. I now come to Prime Minister's questions. Prime Minister, question one. Uh, Mr Speaker, I will shortly be updating the House on this country's fantastic progress in tackling COVID-19, including our booster programme, enabling us to ease Plan B measures and restore the ancient liberties of this country. Mr Speaker, I know that the whole House will be delighted that Her Majesty the Queen has given permission for a special medal to be awarded to all those who deployed to Kabul. Operation Pitting saw our servicemen and women deliver the largest British evacuation since the Second World War. The whole country can be immensely proud of their service. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Wendy Chen. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last year we were told by the Prime Minister there were no Downing Street parties. Then it turned out there were parties, but we were assured that no rules were broken. Last week, we heard that rules may have been broken, but that he thought it was a work event. And now yesterday, from the man who wrote the rules, it was, well, nobody told me what those rules were. (laughs) Mr Speaker, five weeks ago, the people of North Shropshire were clear, and the people of North East Fife are being clear to me now. No matter the excuse, there is no excuse for taking the British people for fools. Will the Prime Minister agree it is now time for him to resign? No, Mr Speaker, but what I can tell her is that, as I said to the House last week, uh, I I apologise sincerely for uh, any misjudgments that were made, uh, but she must contain her impatience, Mr Speaker, and wait for the inquiry next week before she draws any of the conclusions that she's just asserted. John Burrow. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Latest evidence and research shows that the UK is the most attractive country in the world amongst um, young people uh, across the G20. Amid intense soft power competition from other countries, including China, can the Prime Minister assure me and other members of the British Party All-Party Group, uh, sorry, British Council All-Party Group, that the government will meet the British Council's funding requirements to ensure it doesn't have to close any more offices overseas and to ensure that it commits all its energy to retaining our top spot. Uh, Mr Speaker, I I entirely share my right honourable friend's enthusiasm for the British Council, which is a wonderful institution uh, that uh, we all love. And that's why we're providing, through the FCDO, uh, £189 million of funding uh, this year, a 27% increase, Mr Speaker, in spite of all the difficulties this country is facing, 27% increase uh, on the previous financial year. We've also provided a loan facility of up to £145 million to support all the wonderful work that the British Council does. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I start by warmly welcoming? Can I start? Listen to the Prime Minister. Can I just say, 
I expect people to listen to the Prime Minister. I certainly don't want the Leader of the Opposition shouted down. You might not like the day, but this is the day that we've got. Yes, uh, Mr Speaker, I'm not bothered. I assumed it was directed over here. Um, <laughs> um, uh, can I start by warmly welcoming the Honourable Member for Bury South to his new place and to the Parliamentary Labour Party. Mr Speaker, like so many people up and down the country, he has concluded that the Prime Minister and the Conservative Party have shown themselves incapable of offering the leadership and government this country deserves, whereas the Labour Party stands ready to provide an alternative government that the country can be proud of. Mr Speaker, the Labour Party has changed, and so has the Conservative Party. He and anyone else who wants to build a new Britain built on decency, security, prosperity and respect is welcome in my Labour Party. Every week, the Prime Minister offers absurd and frankly unbelievable defences to the Downing Street parties, and each week it unravels. I've been elected the chair. I don't need to be told how to conduct the business. So if somebody wants to do some direction, I'll start directing them out of the chamber. Yes, Sama. Mr Speaker, I see, I see the very noise. I'm sure the Chief Whip has told them to bring their own booze. <laughs> order, order. Let's try and get on with questions. It's going to be a long day, if not. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, first he said there were no parties. Then the video landed, blowing that defence out of the water. Next he said he was sickened and furious when he found out about the parties until it turned out that he himself was at the Downing Street Garden Party. Then last week, last week he said he didn't realise he was at a party and, surprise, surprise... No one believed him. So this week, he's got a new defence. Nobody warned me that it was against the rules. That's it. Nobody told him. Since the Prime Minister wrote the walls, why on earth does he think that his new defence is going to work for him? Well, thank you, Mr Speaker. Well, he talks about... Uh, the rules, and uh, let, me, let me repeat what I said to uh, the Honourable Lady uh, uh, across the aisle uh, uh, earlier on. Of course, of course, Mr. Speaker, we must wait for the, uh, we must wait for the outcome of the, of the inquiry. But I, re- I, re- I, re- I renew what I've said, uh, Mr. Speaker. But when it comes to when it comes to his view, Nobody believes what you said. Can we have a little less? I want to this Prime Minister like I wanted to lead the opposition. I want the same courtesy from both sides. Prime Minister. Yeah. Well, Mr Speaker, if we'd listened to the right honourable gentleman about, about COVID restrictions, which is the substance uh, of his question, uh, then, then Mr Speaker, we would still be uh, we would have been in lockdown after July. If, we, if, we, if we'd listened to if this is the truth, if we'd listened to the Labour front bench in the run-up to Christmas and New Year, Mr Speaker, we would have stayed in uh, restrictions with huge damage uh, to the economy. And it's because, of the, it's because of the judgments that I've taken and that we have taken uh, in Downing Street that we now have the fastest growing economy in the G7. And, and GD, GDP, Mr. Speaker, now back up above 
pre-pandemic levels. And as for Berry South, Mr. Speaker, as for as for Berry South, uh, let, let me say to let me say to the let me say to the right gentleman, Mr. Speaker, by all you may say to the right honourable gentleman, that the Conservative Party have won Berry South for the first time in generations under this Prime Minister, uh, with an agenda of uniting uniting and levelling up and delivering for the people of Berry South. And, Mr Speaker, we will win again in Berry South at the next election under this Prime Minister. Look, it's important I hear. I want to hear both sides, and I don't want this continuous chant. Because if we do, there will be less people on these benches. And the same on the other side. I expect both sides to be heard with courtesy. Keir Starmer. Barry South is now a Labour seat, Prime Minister. Um, Sorry, sir. Order. Order. Did somebody want me to apologise? No, somebody shouted apologise. I hope it wasn't aimed at me. No. And so we'll also have less from that corner, Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Not only did he write the rules, but some of his staff say they did warn him about attending the party on the 20th of May 2020. Now, I've heard the Prime Minister's very carefully crafted response to that accusation. It almost sounds like a lawyer wrote it. (laughs) So I'll be equally careful with my question. When did the Prime Minister first become aware that any of his staff had concerns about the 20th of May party? Mr. Mr. Speaker, I, I'm, I'm grateful to Ronald Jump for repeating the question that he's, uh, that he's, he's already asked. We, we have uh, answered, uh, Mr. Speaker, uh, that it is for the inquiry to, to come forward uh, with uh, an explanation of what happened, and we, I'm afraid he simply, he simply must wait. But he asks about my staff, Mr. Speaker. He asks, he asks about uh, my staff and what my staff are doing and what, and what they. Uh, have told me, and I can tell him, Mr. Speaker, that they have taken decisions throughout this pandemic uh, that, that he has that he has opposed to open up in in July, Mr. Speaker, as I have said, to mount the fastest vaccine rollout in in Europe, uh, and, and Mr. Speaker, to double the speed of the booster rollout, uh, with the result that we have the most open economy in Europe, Mr. Speaker, and we ha- and we have more people uh, in employment and more pe- employees on the payroll now than there were before the pandemic began. That is what my staff have been working on in Downing Street, uh, Mr Speaker, and I'm proud of them. So, Mr Speaker, apparently Sue Gray is going to tell the Prime Minister when he first became aware that his staff had concerns about the May 20th. (laughs) Uh, The Prime Minister's account gets more extraordinary with each version of his defence. If the Prime Minister's new defence were true, it requires him to suggest that his staff are not being truthful when they say they warned him about the party. It requires the Prime Minister to expect us to believe that whilst every other person who was invited on the 20th of May to the party was told it was a social occasion, he alone was told it was a work meeting. It also requires us, requires the Prime Minister to ask us to accept that, as, it, as he waded through the empty bottles and platters of sandwiches, he didn't realise it was a party. Do, 
does the Prime Minister realise how ridiculous that sounds? Uh, Mr Speaker, uh, I, I've said what I've said about uh, the events in number 10. Uh, he, will have to, he will have to wait uh, for the he'll have to wait for the report. And, and Mr Speaker, I think, it, I think you know, he, he asks for, uh, for further clarification. I think there are lots of people who are interested. I say this entirely in passing, Mr Speaker. Lots of people are interested in the exact legal justification uh, from the learned, uh, the learned uh, leader of the opposition uh, for, for, for the picture of him drinking a pint of beer or a bottle of beer. Perhaps he could tell the House about that in a minute, in a minute Mr Speaker. But what I, can, what, I can, what I can tell the House is that uh, throughout the pandemic, people in, across government have been working flat out to protect the British public uh, with, with huge quantities of PPE, so we can now make 80% in this country, with the biggest and most generous furlough scheme uh, virtually anywhere in the world. And the fastest. And by the way, Mr. Speaker, if we listened to them, if we listened to them, we would have stayed in the European Medicines Agency, and we would never have been able to deliver the vaccine rollout at the speed that we did. Mr. Speaker, if the Prime Minister thinks the only accusation he faces is that he once had a beer with a takeaway, then Operation Save Big Dog is in deeper <laughs> trouble than I thought. If the Prime Minister misleads Parliament, should they resign? So, Mr Speaker, let's be absolutely clear. Uh, the Right Honourable Gentleman is continuing to ask a series of questions which he knows will be fully addressed uh, by the inquiry. Uh, he, is wasting, he is wasting this House's time. He is wasting the people's time, Mr Speaker. He continues to be completely irrelevant, uh, Mr Speaker, uh, to the, to the, to, we have, because we have an inquiry. We have an inquiry, Mr Speaker, and I, and, and, I, and I am not going to anticipate that inquiry any further. What I, what I can tell him is that it is because of the judgments that were taken in Downing Street and because of the uh, willingness of the British people uh, to put trust, by the way, Mr Speaker, in those judgments uh, to, co- to, come, to come forward in huge numbers to get vaccinated, which people did, and I thank them for it, for the bottom of my heart, people did that. Uh, because they listened to our messages, Mr Speaker, and it was a result of that that we now have the fastest growing economy in the G7 and youth unemployment, which he ought to care about, youth unemployment at a record low, Mr Speaker. Well, I, I know it's not going well, Prime Minister, but look on the bright side. At least the staff at number 10 know how to pack a suitcase. <laughs> Mr Speaker, last year... Last year, Her Majesty the Queen sat alone when she marked the passing of the man she had been married to for 73 years. She followed the rules of the country that she leads. On the eve of that funeral, a suitcase was filled with booze and wheeled into Downing Street. A DJ played and staff parted late into the night. The Prime Minister has been forced to hand an apology to Her Majesty the Queen. Isn't he ashamed that he didn't have in his resignation at the same time? Uh, Mr Speaker, I I, I understand why the uh, Right Honourable Gentleman continues to politicise issues. Sorry, Premier. We normally would not, and quite rightly, mention the Royal Family. We don't get into discussions on the Royal Family. 
Well, well, in that case, Mr. Speaker, I must ask the right honourable gentleman to withdraw it. I've dealt. I've dealt with it. Here, Starmer. Here, Starmer. If you are you going to? Mr. We don't want to go through that again. I'll make the decisions. The answer is that the next question I'm going back to Keir Starmer to ask his final question. Keir Starmer. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Whilst the Prime Minister wastes energy defending the indefensible, people's energy bills are rocketing. Labour has a plan to deal with it. Act VAT for everyone, provide extra support for the hardest hit and pay for it with a one-off tax on oil and gas companies. A serious plan for a serious problem. What's the government offering? Yeah. Nothing. Nothing. Too distracted by their own chaos to do their job. Yeah. While Labour was setting out plans to heat homes, yeah. he was buying a fridge to keep the party wine chilled. Yeah. While we were setting out plans to keep bills down, he was planning parties. Yeah. And while we were setting out plans to save jobs in the steel industry, he was... He was trying to save just one job, his own. Doesn't the country deserve so much better than this out-of-touch, out-of-control, out-of-ideas and soon-to-be-out-of-office Prime Minister? Mr Speaker, I'll tell you what this government has been doing to look after the people of this country throughout this pandemic and and beyond. Uh, We have been cutting uh, the cost of living, helping them with the the living wage. We've We've been raising... We've been, rate, we've been cutting taxes for people on low pay, Mr. Speaker. We've been increasing payments uh, for people uh, suffering the costs of fuel. Prime Minister, look after people. Just, can I just say to everyone in here, our constituents want to hear the questions and the answers. The great British public, the members of this United Kingdom, which you are representing, they need to hear. Please. Let's hear the questions and answers. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, we will continue to look after people throughout this uh, pandemic and, and beyond. But we've also, Mr Speaker, been cutting crime by 10%, putting 11,000 more police officers already out on the street. Record home building last year. Mr. More homes than at any time in the last 30 years. We are building 40 new hospitals, Mr Speaker. Gigabit broadband, gigabit broadband has gone up from 9% coverage in our country to 65% already. And as I said already, I think three times or four times today, we have more people, more employees on the payroll now than before the pandemic began. And, uh, and unemployment, youth unemployment, at a record low, Mr Speaker. And w- when the history of this pandemic comes to be written, and the history of the Labour Party comes to be written, and believe me, they are history and will remain history, Mr Speaker. It will show, it will show, it will show that we delivered while they dithered and we, we vaccinated while they vaccinated, Mr Speaker. And, and the reason we've been able to lift restrictions faster than any other country in Europe and we have the most open economy and the most open society in Europe, Mr Speaker, is thanks to the booster rollout and thanks to the work of staff up and down Whitehall, across government, throughout the NHS, Mr Speaker, and I am intensely proud of what this government has done. You'll get more if you let the questions come. Mark Palsy. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Following on from the excellent news on the economy and jobs, the Prime Minister will remember my question to him last June about proposals for a gigafactory in Coventry. Last week, local councils granted outline planning permission to create 6,000 new skilled jobs to secure many thousands of others, inject £2.5 billion into our local economy and level up across our region. With fast rising demand for greener and cleaner electric cars, may I ask him for his support to ensure the swift delivery of this vitally important project? I thank my honourable friend for campaigning for uh, this wonderful project, and we are supporting the electric vehicle industry. We'll be made another £350 million available through the Automotive Transformation uh, Fund, on top of the half a billion pound uh, that we, commitment that we've already made in the, in the ten-point plan. And uh, I know that uh, the campaign for Coventry Airport is an excellent one. I look forward to seeing how it develops. We now come to the leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This week was supposed to be Operation Save Big Dog, but it's quickly become Operation Dog's Dinner. Over the past few days, we've had more damaging revelations about Downing Street rulemaking, more evidence that Parliament has been misled, and an even longer list of ludicrous absolutely ludicrous excuses from the Prime Minister. First he claimed there were no parties. Then he wasn't present. Then he admitted he was at them, but he didn't know it was a party. And then, Mr Speaker, the latest sorry excuse is really the most pathetic of them all. Nobody told me. Nobody told me. Nobody told the Prime Minister he was breaking his own rules. Absolutely pathetic. The Prime Minister, you know, what a look. What a look. The Prime Minister laughing once again, laughing at the British public. The Prime Minister is taking the public for schools. Nobody, nobody believes him. Will the Prime Minister finally take responsibility, resign, go, Prime Minister? Uh, no, Mr Speaker, but I, I thank him for his question again. And uh, let, let, me just, let me just remind him that uh, there's a, an inquiry that is due to, uh, to conclude. Uh, I, I, I believe he is wrong in what he asserts, Mr Speaker, but we'll have to wait and see what the, uh, what the inquiry says. Uh, but, Mr Speaker, I think the most important thing from, from the point of view of, of the UK Government is that uh, we're coming out of uh, the restrictions that we've been in. I'm delighted to see that that's happening in Scotland as well. Uh, and uh, and I, that is very largely thanks to the wonderful cooperation uh, that we continue to see across the whole of the UK, though you wouldn't believe it to hear it from him. Ian Blackford. Mr Speaker, I'm afraid nobody is buying this act anymore. There ought to be some respect and dignity from the Prime Minister. Let's remind ourselves more than 150,000 of our citizens here, have died, here, here. and he's partying, he's laughing. Mr Speaker, it simply isn't acceptable. The fake contrition, the endless excuses, the empty promises that it will be different only if we give him one last chance. This is a Prime Minister who arrogantly believes that he's above the rules, a Prime Minister who brazenly twists the truth, a Prime Minister who simply isn't 
fit for office. The Prime Minister's former chief adviser has said that he lied to Parliament, breaking the ministerial code. Prime Minister, a resignation offence. Public trust is hemorrhaging. With every day that passes, this Tory government loses even more credibility. When will the Tory MPs finally do the right thing? Show the Prime Minister the door. Mr Speaker, the, I, I, I thank the right of the gentleman, but I must say that I disagree with him. And I think that uh, when you look at the, the levels of trust that the British people, uh, people in Scotland, Wales, Northern Ireland, across the whole country, have shown in government, uh, that, uh, that there is the single biggest index, Mr Speaker, of that trust has been their willingness to come forward voluntarily, voluntarily, Mr Speaker, unlike many other countries in the world, uh, to get vaccinated on a scale uh, not seen anywhere else in Europe. And, and that is because of our ability uh, to, and the NHS's ability to persuade people that it's the right thing. It's a fantastic thing. And by, by the way, Mr Speaker, it's also a tribute to the United Kingdom, because that vaccine rollout was a UK effort. Paul Benzin. Thank you, Mr Speaker. When it comes to exporting, as you're well aware, file punches well above its weight. And the Prime Minister saw this when he visited BE Systems' Fractory of the Future in Lancashire last year. In addition, fantastic local businesses such as Helical Technologies, Tangerine Holdings and Nature's Aid are doing a great job for flying the flag for Lancashire globally. But I've also got many smaller businesses who are eager to get exporting into new markets. What steps is the Prime Minister taking to help file businesses make the most of Brexit and maximise export potential? Well, I thank him for, for championing. I thank him for what he's doing to champion trade with, uh, with Latin America. And, uh, and I'm, I've no doubt that businesses, small businesses such as Squire Hair uh, are, are, are eager to get into uh, those, those new markets. And uh, we will do everything uh, that we can uh, to help and support him in his efforts. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, as the cost of living crisis deepens, this government's priorities get ever more remote from my Kirkcaldy and Cowdenbeath constituency. Uh, uh, only this week I learned uh, a veteran in my constituency, James Scott, took his own life uh, as a result of uh, his struggle with mounting financial pressures. This is a government who were found to have acted unlawfully by the High Court over COVID contracts and now preparing to write off £4.3 billion allocated to those COVID schemes. Why can the UK government find billions of pounds for profiteers and fraudsters, but they can't find compassion to treat the people with dignity, lifting the benefits cap and reinstating the cut to universal credit? Well, first of all, Mr Speaker, I want to say how sorry I am uh, for what he's had to say about James Scott and... Uh, this government does as much as we can to support veterans, and that's why uh, we published the Veterans Action Plan uh, only, only uh, the other day, Mr. Speaker. But what we're also doing is ensuring that we support people throughout this crisis. He mentions, uh, and, I, and, I've, and I've, I've said in my answer to the, to the right honourable gentleman, uh, many of the steps that we're taking to protect people uh, on, on low incomes, and we will continue to do more, Mr. Speaker. He attacks the the uh, contracts for, for PPE. Actually, I think it was an astonishing thing uh, at great speed to be able to uh, give this country 17 billion items of PPE, thanks to the efforts of, uh, of, of people across Whitehall. Uh, Mr Speaker, this country is now capable of producing 80% of our, of our own PPE. Kate Griffiths. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Shortly before Christmas, my constituent, Oliver Freckleton, was found at home having been stabbed to death on the eve of his 20th birthday. 
Yesterday, his heartbroken parents held their son's funeral. Oliver leaves behind a partner and a baby daughter, and two teenagers have been arrested for his murder. Now, this tragic event leaves behind a devastated family, friends, and a very worried community. I'm grateful for the work that Staffordshire Police is undertaking to tackle violent crime in my constituency, and the extra 149 additional police officers recruited is very welcome. But does the Prime Minister agree with me that a multi-stakeholder approach is vital to tackling crimes amongst our young people? And what can the government do to support not just the police, but schools, colleges and local authorities in working to address this issue? My honourable friend, uh, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm very sad to hear the news of, uh, of the, the loss of her constituent, uh, Oliver. And uh, like, like so many uh, victims of violent crime, uh, the answer, as is, as is the case with so many victims, the answer is not just policing, though that is vitally important, and that's why we're investing so massively in 20,000 uh, more police officers uh, and supporting them uh, with uh, toughening the law, Mr Speaker. Uh, but it's also, as she rightly says, important to get uh, all the institutions of the state to work together, schools, colleges, uh, social services, uh, and the health service, mental health service as well. Jessica Morton. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. Why is it so hard for this Prime Minister to admit that he made the rules so he should know the rules yeah. and he should follow the rules? Yeah. Everyone out there knows it's as simple as that. Yeah. And if he had any shred of compassion for all those out there who've suffered through this, he'd go. Yeah. Mr Speaker, I, 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 I entirely uh, understand people's uh, feelings. And I, and I entirely support what she says about uh, obeying the rules when you make the rules. She's, com she's completely right. Uh, on, on the other hand, I, I do urge her, I do urge her to, to wait, as I said to the uh, benches of it, to wait until next week. Paul Holt. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, you know, the opposition have been told there's going to be an inquiry. They've visited every single question on one issue. Well, my constituents want to get on with other things. In, in January 2021, the government estimated that at least £800 million will be released from the Dormant Assets Scheme extension. Does you agree with me that funding through a new community wealth fund will be a catalyst to level up the most left-behind communities, and the bill should include specific provision for a consultation on the st scope, shape and nature of such a fund? Uh, Mr Speaker, we uh, certainly are legislating to... I uh, thank you very much. Uh, we will be legislating to expand the Dormant Assets Scheme uh, to include new financial assets, which would unlock an estimated £880 million. Uh, we'll be considering how to spend the English uh, portion of that. And the Community Wealth Fund that he proposes is certainly an option. And I thank him very much. Peter Grant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My constituent, Anne, has told me a friend saw the ambulance outside the house on the night Anne's husband died. She wasn't allowed to go into the house to comfort her friend. Anne's husband went to his rest in an almost empty building while scores of his friends stood freezing outside. Anne went home to an empty house to grieve the rest of the day alone. My constituent Susan wasn't allowed to go in the ambulance or even follow the ambulance, blue light and all, after her husband had a heart attack. Other constituents had the heartbreaking realisation they weren't allowed to go into care homes to break the news in person to the relatives that someone else in the family had died. Mr Speaker, in their words, not mine, in their words, the Prime Minister is a charlatan, a hypocrite and a liar. What will he now say to my constituents? Look, I know you're repeating what your constituents said. I want more moderate 
and temperate language. Prime Minister Martin just wants to deal with the general questions, certainly not the end. I, th- I thank you, Mr Speaker. And I, I, want, I want to repeat that uh, I understand the, the feelings that he has relayed uh, to me, as I said, I said last week, and I sympathise uh, very deeply with uh, the, the feelings and I understand uh, why people feel as they do. And I, I thank people very much for everything they have done. I recognise the enormous sacrifice that people have made. Uh, I apologise for misjudgments that uh, may be made in number 10 by me uh, and anybody else, uh, but please can I ask him to wait uh, for the inquiry to conclude. Andrew Lower. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Um, I recently attended a debate held by my honourable friend for West Aberdeenshire and Kincardine seeking a central London memorial for the Photographic Reconnaissance Unit. And in it, I referenced my Northampton South constituent, Mosquito Pilot, Mr George Pritchard, who is 98 next week uh, and is one of the last surviving members of the unit. Will the Prime Minister join my honourable friend, me and Mr Pritchard in backing this fitting and needed memorial? Uh, I I thank him very much and uh, I will certainly uh, do what I can to support it, though of course, uh, as he knows, the memorial to George Pritchard, though as he knows this is a matter for local authorities, uh, what this uh, House and what this Government can certainly do is ensure that uh, memorials are not desecrated uh, as they have been uh, across this country and make sure that we support uh, legislation uh, that penalises those who indulge in such desecration, Mr. Dame Diana Johnson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, when a Prime Minister is spending his time trying to convince the great British public that he's actually stupid rather than dishonest, isn't it time that he goes now? Mr Mr. Speaker, I I think that was a question for you uh, rather than me, but I'm not... Look, I've I've made my point. I I think that the British public... Uh, have responded to uh, what this government has had to say in the most eloquent way possible. They have beaten COVID uh, so far, Mr Speaker. They have helped to defeat COVID so far, Mr Speaker, with the steps they have taken uh, by getting vaccinated and implementing Plan B. And I thank them. Just for the Prime Minister, for the record, it's not Speaker's questions. Sir Robert Goodall. Our armed forces have earned the respect and admiration of our nation, not least during the pandemic. On Remembrance Sunday, we commemorate their sacrifices, but on Armed Forces Day, on the 25th of June, we will celebrate all that is amazing about our Army, Navy and Air Force. In a normal year, we get about 20,000 people at the event in Scarborough, but this year we will finally host after two twice-being-postponed National Armed Forces Day. Will the Prime Minister pull out all the stops on land, sea and air to make this truly an event to remember? Well, Mr Speaker, I have no doubt that Armed Forces Day will be absolutely uh, spectacular across the country and that Scarborough uh, will make a terrific uh, contribution and a notable uh, contribution as well. Williams. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Last April, I asked the Prime Minister if he agreed with the principle that politicians shouldn't lie. He replied that he concurred with the basic principle that the Honourable Gentleman has just enunciated. Would he like to amend the record? (laughs) No, Mr Speaker. Simon Hall. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The, The vast majority of people, and indeed politicians across Northern Ireland, believe that whatever the question, double-jobbing is not 
the answer. Could I urge my right honourable friend to listen to the majority and ask him not to move the government amendment in the other place later today? Uh, I am grateful to my, uh, my honourable friend and uh, I'm, I'm advised that I think the amendment in, in question is indeed going to be uh, withdrawn. Twist. Mr Speaker, my constituents are rightly angry at the Prime Minister's behaviour, but while Downing Street fights to save his political life, people across the North East are worrying about rising food and energy bills, rising unemployment and rising levels of child poverty. He talks about levelling up, but my constituents are seeing opportunities cut. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that his government has failed and it's time for him to go? Uh, no, no, Mr. Speaker, I, I really don't agree with her. And I, I don't think she could have been following anything that's being said this afternoon. Uh, we, have, we have unemployment falling to near record lows, Mr. Speaker, and we, are, we have job vacancies. We have job vacancies uh, at record highs, Mr. Speaker. That's what Conservative governments do. They create jobs and they get, and they get the economy moving. Living Davis. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Like many on these benches, I spent weeks and months defending the Prime Minister uh, against often angry constituents. I reminded them of his success in delivering Brexit and the vaccine and many other things. But I expect my leaders to shoulder the responsibility for the actions they take. Yesterday, he did the opposite of that. So I'll remind him of a quotation altogether too familiar to him, of Leo Amory to Neville Chamberlain. You have sat there too long for all the good you have done. In the name of God, go. Order, Prime Minister. I, I, I must say to the right honourable gentleman, I don't know what he's talking about, uh, but uh, what, I can, what I can tell him, uh, I don't know what quotation he's alluding to that he re, he's referring but what I can tell him is that I, and I think I've told this House repeatedly uh, throughout, this, throughout this pandemic, I take full responsibility for everything done in this government uh, and, and uh, throughout the pandemic. Stephen Kinnock. Does the Prime Minister agree with the Leader of the House that the Leader of the Scottish Conservatives is a lightweight? Uh, Mr Speaker, the Conservative conservative, uh, approach to the Union is one that I think is right for our country. Uh, We want to keep it uh, together and I I think Conservatives in Scotland do an excellent job and and that's why uh, their, their stout defiance their stout defence of the union was repaid at the last election, uh, and Labour, Mr. Speaker, is increasingly endangering our unionists. Lake Drummond. Mr. Speaker, and many people last week welcomed the five-year moratorium on smart motorways. However, the M27 is due to be open as a smart motorway in a couple of months. What reassurance can my right honourable friend give my constituents in Moon Valley and others in the rest of South Hampshire that the M27 will be safe and give them confidence to use it? I, I, I thank her very much, and I can assure her that uh, we are well aware of the uh, risks associated with the smart motorway scheme. I know that my right honourable friend, the Secretary of State for Transport, is, uh, is looking at it right now. 
We now come to the Prime Minister's COVID-19 statement. I now call the Prime Minister. Uh, Mr Speaker, with permission, I will make a statement on our progress against Omicron. Prime Minister, just let the, just let the room clear a little bit. Order. Can we please leave quickly and quietly? What a day. Prime Minister, please. Mr Speaker, with permission, I will make a statement on our progress against Omicron and the review of our Plan B measures. Within hours of learning from scientists in South Africa about the emergence of a new COVID variant last November, this Government acted, introducing balanced and proportionate restrictions at our borders to slow the seeding of Omicron in our country. As we learned more about this highly transmissible new variant, we implemented the Plan B measures we had prepared precisely in case our situation deteriorated, encouraging people to change their behaviour to slow the spread of the virus and buying crucial time to get boosters into arms. We made the big call to refocus our National Health Service, necessarily requiring the difficult postponement of many other appointments so that we could double the speed of the booster programme. And thanks to the extraordinary efforts of our NHS and its volunteers, we delivered the fastest booster programme in Europe, reaching half our population before any other European country, with more than 36 million boosters now in arms across the UK, including more than 90 per cent of all over 60s in England. And taking a balanced approach, we resisted calls from others to shut down our country all over again. Many nations across Europe have endured further winter lockdowns. Many have seen hospitality curfews and nightclubs closed, capacity limits at sports stadiums, the return of social distancing, and in some places Christmas and New Year as good as cancelled. But this Government took a different path. We kept England open, and we supported those businesses which faced reduced demand because of the response to Plan B measures. And while we must continue to remain cautious, the data are showing that time and again this Government got the toughest decisions right. Today's latest ONS data show clearly that infection levels are falling in England. And while there are some places where cases are likely to continue rising, including in primary schools, our scientists believe it is likely that the Omicron wave has now peaked nationally. There remain, of course, significant pressures on the NHS across our country and especially in the northeast and northwest. But hospital admissions, which were doubling every nine days just two weeks ago, have now stabilised, with admissions in London even falling, and the numbers in intensive care not only remain low but are actually also falling. So this morning the Cabinet concluded that because of the extraordinary booster campaign, together with the way the public have responded to the Plan B measures, we can return to Plan A in England and allow Plan B regulations to expire. As a result, from the start of Thursday next week, mandatory certification will end. Organisations can, of course, choose to use the NHS COVID pass voluntarily, but we will end the compulsory use of COVID status certification in England. From now on, the Government is no longer asking people to work from home. And people should now speak to their employers about arrangements for returning to the office. And having looked at the data carefully, the Cabinet concluded 
that once regulations lapse, the government will no longer mandate the wearing of face masks anywhere. Mr. Speaker. Mr Speaker, from, from, tomorrow, from tomorrow we will no longer require face masks in classrooms and the Department, and the Department for Education will shortly remove national guidance uh, on their use in communal areas. In the country at large, we will continue to suggest the use of face coverings in enclosed or crowded spaces, particularly when you come into contact with people you don't normally meet, but we will trust the judgment of the British people and no longer criminalise anyone who chooses not to wear one. The Government will also ease restrictions further on visits to care homes, and my right honourable friend the Secretary of State for Health and Social Care will set out plans in the coming days. Mr Speaker, as we return to Plan A, the House will know that some measures still remain, including those on self-isolation. In particular, it is still a legal requirement for those who have tested positive for COVID to self-isolate. On Monday, we reduced the isolation period to five full days with two negative tests, and there will soon come a time when we can remove the legal requirement to self-isolate altogether, just as we don't place legal obligations on people to isolate if they have flu. As COVID becomes endemic, we will need to replace legal requirements with advice and guidance, urging people with the virus to be careful and considerate of others. The self-isolation regulations expire on the 24th of March, at which point I very much expect not to renew them. Indeed, were the data to allow, I would like to seek a vote in this House to bring that date forwards. In advance of that, we will set out our long-term strategy for living with COVID-19, explaining how we hope and intend to protect our liberty and avoid restrictions in future by relying instead on medical advances, especially the vaccines which have already saved so many lives. But to make that possible, we must all remain cautious during these last weeks of winter. When there are still over 16,000 people in hospital in England alone, the pandemic is not over. And Mr Speaker, make no mistake, uh, Omicron is not a mild disease for everyone, especially if you're not vaccinated. Uh, Just look at the numbers in intensive care in other countries where vaccination rates are far lower. Indeed, from our NHS data, we know that around 90% of people in intensive care are not boosted. So I urge members across the House to do everything possible to encourage any remaining constituents who have not done so to get boosted now. And for the next few weeks, I encourage everyone across the country to continue with the behaviours that we know help to keep everybody safe. Washing hands, letting fresh air in, getting tested, self-isolating if positive, and, as I say, thinking about wearing a face covering in crowded and enclosed settings. Mr Speaker, Omicron tested us just as Alpha and Delta did before. But let's remember some of what we've achieved. We were the first nation in the world to administer a vaccine. We were the fastest in Europe to roll it out, because outside the European Medicines Agency, this government made the big call to pursue our own British procurement strategy, rather than opting back into the EU scheme, as some people urged. We created a world-beating testing programme 
the largest in Europe, Mr. Speaker, and procured the most antivirals of any country in Europe too, because this government made the big call to invest early in lateral flow tests and in cutting-edge drugs to protect the most vulnerable. We have delivered the fastest booster campaign in Europe, and we are the first to emerge from the Omicron wave. Because the government made the big call to focus on our NHS and to, to refocus our activity and lead that campaign to get boosted now. And that's why we've retained the most open economy and society anywhere across the European continent and the fastest growing economy in the G7. Because we made that tough decision to open up last summer when others said that we shouldn't and to keep things open over the winter when others wanted them shut, Mr Speaker. This week, the World Health Organisation said that while the global situation remains challenging, the United Kingdom can start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. And, Mr Speaker, this is no accident of history. Confronted by the nation's biggest challenge since the Second World War and the worst pandemic since 1918, any government would get some things wrong, but this government got the big things right, Mr Speaker, and I commend this statement to the House. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker, and I thank the Prime Minister for advance sight of his statement. Uh, throughout the pandemic, the British public have made enormous sacrifices to limit the spread of the virus, staying at home, social distancing and, unlike the Prime Minister, cancelling parties. I would like to thank everybody who has followed the rules. I'd like to thank the NHS staff and volunteers who have rolled out the booster jab. The Labour Party does not want to see restrictions in place any longer than necessary. We will support the relaxation of Plan B as long as the science says that it is safe. So can the Prime Minister share the scientific evidence behind his decision and reassure the public that he is acting to protect their health not just his job. The 438 deaths recorded yesterday are a solemn reminder that this pandemic is not over. We need to remain vigilant, learn the lessons from the government's mistakes. With new variants highly likely, we must have a robust plan to live well with COVID. So where is it? He's too distracted to do the job. And it's not just the Prime Minister who's letting us down. Where's the Health Secretary's plan to prepare for another wave of infections? Why isn't the Chancellor working with British manufacturers to shore up our domestic supplies of tests? Where is the Foreign Secretary's plan to help vaccinate the world? They're all too busy plotting their leadership campaigns to keep the public safe. While the Conservative Party tear themselves apart, jostling for position, looking inward, the Labour Party is focused on the national interest, yeah. filling their void. We have a plan that the Prime Minister doesn't. We would, tra- we would train and ret- retain a reserve army of volunteer vaccinators. We will build a supply of test kits made in Britain to, su- to protect us from global shortages. We would raise statutory sick pay and make all workers eligible, keep schools open by improving ventilation break the endless cycle of new variants by playing our part in vaccinating the world, we would produce a roadmap for decision-making to ensure efficient action when it is demanded, we would stop the short-sighted sell-off of the UK's 
vaccine manufacturing centre, yeah, yeah, yeah. and we would never again allow our NHS and social care service to be so run down and underfunded, understaffed, and overstretched as it has been over the last decade of a Tory yeah, government. Yeah, yeah. Mr Speaker, Labour has a plan to live well with Covid and secure our lives, livelihoods and liberties. Where's his? Well, Mr Speaker, I'd be happy to share the the scientific advice uh, on which we've uh, taken this decision, of course, and and uh, uh, he he can see it's it's, it's there for for everybody to to consult. Uh, But he asks about uh, our testing uh, abilities, Mr. Speaker, we're conducting about 1.25 million tests a day. We have, the, cap- we have a, a, the biggest capability to do tests of any country in Europe. We've built, as I, as I promised the House, uh, Mr. Speaker, and he attacked me at the time, I said, we have a world beating testing industry, a massive diagnostics facility, which we never had before. He attacks the, he attacks the government over. Uh, the distribution of vaccines to the rest of the world. We've already done uh, 30 million. We'll do 100 million uh, by uh, June, Mr. Speaker. And uh, 2.5 billion, 2.5 billion AstraZeneca vaccines have been distributed around the world, thanks to the deal the UK government did uh, with, with AstraZeneca, so that those vaccines are distributed at cost price. He talks about funding the NHS. That party, Mr Speaker, voted against uh, the funding that we're going to need to clear the COVID backlogs and, and fund our NHS. Mr Speaker, throughout this pandemic, he has been absolutely shameless in veering from one position uh, to the next. And he has been, he has been wrong. He has been wrong about ev- virtually every single important decision. He was wrong about keeping schools open, Mr Speaker. Do you remember he consistently refused to say that they were safe uh, because of the, what his paymasters in the union were telling him? Uh, he was wrong about going forward uh, from lockdown in July, on July the 19th. He, he said it was reckless. Do you remember, Mr Speaker? He was totally wrong. Uh, he was wrong about the Labour front bench were wrong about uh, going through uh, Christmas and New Year with Plan B, as we did. Uh, they said we needed. A, they said they said we needed a roadmap back to lockdown. He did. That guy did. Oh no, wait. It was it was it was Ashwin. Maybe it was you. That guy. Uh, they said they wanted a roadmap back to lockdown, uh, Mr. Speaker. Uh, at every step, and, and above all, Mr. Speaker, uh, they tried to undermine the vaccine task force and to say and to say that, they, that to say that you could not spend money. They said you should not be spending £675,000 of taxpayers' money on outreach to vaccine-hesitant groups. That's their idea of priority spending, uh, Mr. Speaker. He, he has been, uh, you know, it's been absolutely miserable listening to the opposite uh, bench because they have had nothing useful to say. They have flip-flopped opportunistically uh, from one position to the other. And, Mr. Speaker, did you did you get any idea from what he said just now? whether or not he supports what we're doing. No. 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 So he does support it. Okay, he supports it this week, Mr Speaker. But what you can be certain of, what you can be certain of, Mr Speaker, is that if he thinks, if he thinks, if he thinks that there's any political opportunity in opposing it next week, he won't hesitate to do so. He's been capped in hindsight throughout, Mr Speaker. Capped in hindsight, and he's had absolutely nothing useful to say or to contribute. The Bigger Picture. Going behind the headlines of the biggest economic and political stories of the day.